Walking the Tightrope of Ministry. This morning we're continuing to close in on the end of our exploration into the heart of Christian service. And we're going to start off with a quotation from Sir Winston Churchill given at a New York news conference back in 1965. And this was reported in a supplement to the New York Times dated January 25th, 1965. And Churchill said this, I am prepared to meet my maker. Whether my maker is prepared for the great ordeal of meeting me is another matter. Now, this statement has a certain amount of of levity to it, and it may bring a smile to your face, and it is a statement that has been quoted many, many times, and I think each time you hear it, it you would probably have the same reaction with the smile, uh, because again, it is uh, it does have that, that element of uh, levity, and uh, the, the thing about it is, though, that as a Christian, as a Christian, um, and if you know scripture, this statement, when compared to scripture, will take on a whole different meaning. Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 10 and 11. And I'm going to be reading from the King James Version. Uh, if you have your Bible, great. If you don't have your Bible, pause the audio. If you're in a position to get your Bible and do that. If not, please take down the references and read them later. I want you to see these words in print, okay? They take on more meaning when you can actually read the verses for yourselves. And usually, I in this series, I've been doing a lot of references, uh, but we didn't do that much actual reading of the words. So in this message this morning... We are actually going to do uh, more reading of Scripture than we have done in the past messages. So, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11, and I, again, I'm reading from the King James Version. Uh, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and that judgment seat is the Bema, the place from which rewards and prizes are given that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So when you look at this and compare that to what Churchill said, uh, these verses of Scripture are no laughing matter. Because we will have to appear before the judgment seat, the Bema, and we will have to give an account for the things that we've done, whether they're good or bad. Now go to Psalms, the book of Psalms. Um, we're going to look at Psalm 2, verse 11. And there it says, serve the Lord with fear and, with, and rejoice with trembling. Now, isn't it interesting? At least I find it interesting that fear and trembling are connected or linked with the word rejoice. It's very interesting. And it's also very interesting that in the equation of serving the Lord, 
all three of these words are a part of serving the Lord. So they're all part of the equation of serving the Lord. And do you think it's possible to serve the Lord with gladness? Do you think at the same time that it's possible to fear the Lord and serve him in truth? And, and, and serving the Lord with gladness is referenced in Psalm 100, verse 2. And fearing the Lord and serving him in truth is, is found in 1 Samuel 12, 24. And the answer to these questions, at least in my mind, is yes, it is. Yes, it is possible to serve the Lord with gladness and at the same time fear him and serve him in truth. And the truth of the matter is that unless there is a balance, unless your joy is balanced by godly fear, when the fire at, uh, the fire falls at the judgment seat of Christ, your service may not amount to very much. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3.13 uh, to show you what we're talking about here. In 1 Corinthians 3.13 it says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So unless you have joy balanced by fear, by godly fear, a healthy godly fear, your your service may not amount to very much. And when the, when you be, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, your your service may very well be burned up. If we look at growth for a minute here, how does how does, um, and uh, where does your joy of the Lord grow from? And where does your fear of the Lord grow from? Basically, the first and foremost, first and foremost, your joy, your joy of the Lord will primarily grow out of your relationship with him. While on the other side of the coin, your fear grows out of responsibility to him. And you see, um, these two things, joy and fear, they do not compete with one another. They don't butt heads against each other. They're actually, uh, they're actually integral parts and they go hand in hand together uh, and are necessary for your growth. And John Henry Newman, um, in, let me see where the reference is here. John Henry Newman, in, uh, this is taken from parochial and plain sermons. John Henry Newman said, in heaven, love will absorb fear, but in this world, fear and love must go together. And then he also said, fear, in that same sermon, he said, fear is allayed by the love of him and our love sobered by our fear of him. And you see, the, the, uh, you can't have responsibility without joy. 
and you can't have relationship. I'm sorry, you can't have responsibility without joy. So both go hand in hand. And what what will happen is if you have responsibility without joy, I mean, that can destroy you. And that can turn your Christian ministry or service into absolute drudgery. And it, and it can drive you into bondage. But uh, it's not enough that you have, if you do have joy, it's not enough to just have joy. Because without godly fear to accompany the joy, you may become shallow and immature. And in John 15, 14, uh, and John 15, Let's go there for a second because let's see what Jesus had to say. Um, in John 15, let's see, John 15, 14. Uh, okay, John 15, 14 and 15. It says, Jesus said, ye are, my, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. So Jesus calls us friends. And in order for us to maintain a relationship and at the same time carry our responsibility, we have to keep them in balance. So to enjoy the intimacy and relationship we have and to also uh, enjoy and carry responsibility, we must absolutely keep them in balance. It's an absolute necessity. Balance is a necessity. And, and again, if you know anything about uh, the Bama seat of Christ. And if you have uh, studied this as well, if you've been a Christian for at for any period of time, I mean, I'm sure that you've heard this. I'm sure you've heard pre uh, sermons preached on it. Well, hopefully you have. Hopefully you have. Uh, if not, you should study this out because it's very, um, it's important. It's important that, that you know about this. And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 17. So we read a couple of uh, verses before, uh, actually one verse, verse 13. But now we're going to read this uh, from 10 to 17. It says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, have I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. 
Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So, again, based on these scriptures and what I can see from it and what my understanding of the judgment seat, it has to do with quality, uh, the quality of our work. And when measured, uh, when, when hit with the fire at, at the Bema, will they, will they, uh, are they able to make it through that fire? And it's based on the quality of our work and whether those works have glorified the Lord. That's what will make it, uh, that's what will enable our works to make it through the fire, the judgment fire, is if God was glorified. And you see, what can happen? Uh, 1 Corinthians, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 3. Let's read, let's read 18 to 23 now. This is the rest of that uh, chapter. Uh, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth, seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, and they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or, or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ and Christ is God's. So the bottom line, if we if we've used the wisdom of this world to build the church, everything will be burned up. But if we use the wisdom of God with that healthy fear of God, the gold, silver, and precious stones, what we've done for him will last forever. And I'll give you another uh, few references here in Proverbs 2, 1 to 9, verses, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 2, 1 to 9, chapter 3 of Proverbs 13 to 18, and chapter 8 of Proverbs, verses 10 and 11. So if we use the, the wisdom of the world to build things up in the church, they will get burned up. If we've used the wisdom of God with a healthy fear of God, then um, the gold, silver, and precious stones, uh, the things that we've done for him will last forever. Very important, very important. So if you haven't heard this before, you need to really get your head into it and really study it out. And if you have been in it before, it's, it's a, it would be a good idea to go back and refresh your minds on this. Very important, especially when you're serving, especially when you're serving. I mean, this can go for whether you have a ministry or not, because each and every day of our lives, we serve the Lord in one way or the other. And again, keep in mind, God looks on the heart. So what does the judgment seat of Christ involve? Based on scripture, it involves reckoning and rewards. Now, 
what, I don't know about you, but what encourages me in service, what encourages me um, in service uh, to do it acceptably with reverence and godly fear um, when contemplating the future. When I look at the future, what encourages me to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear is reckoning. And if we look at Hebrews, go to Hebrews for a minute, a second, and uh, Hebrews 12, verse 28 it says, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And you see, again, that's what encourages me, reckoning. Reckoning encourages me when I look towards the future, the inevitable future that we, uh, uh, we will, that this future, the future that, Every Christian, the future that is in every Christian's future, <laughs> as simple as that. So I'm sorry. Sometimes I, uh, sometimes I uh, can confuse you instead of help you. So anyway, let's say it again. The judgment seat of Christ involves reckoning and rewards. And when I contemplate the future... What encourages me to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, as it says in Hebrews 12:28, is reckoning. That's what encourages me. And what helps me or encourages me to rejoice in the Lord and serve Him with gladness is when I think about the rewards. The rewards encourage me. And when you, you get to the heart of the matter, I mean, you really think about it. Sometimes we take God for granted. We take his blessings for granted. We take this grace administration for granted. And man, just read the Old Testament. Go into the book of Leviticus. If you ever fall short in, in your appreciation of the grace administration, just go into the book of Leviticus. That'll sober you up real fast. Um, okay, so getting back... Uh, where was I? Oh, okay. So the, the 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 bottom line here, and the real reality of this situation is that, is that God doesn't have to give us rewards. I mean, He gives them to us because He wants to give them to us. I mean, bottom the, again, the bottom line is we we ought to serve God even if our labors are never recognized. We owe everything to him, everything to him. So it should not matter to us whether our labors are recognized or not. Based on what he's already given us and that salvation package, based on that, we should want to serve him because we owe him everything. Now watch this, watch this. When you really, I mean, you really have to appreciate this grace thing. Uh, and this is the problem in a lot of churches today. Grace is forgotten about. The grace aspect is forgotten about. And 
this is so important. I mean, just, just, just think about this. God not only gives us work to do, he gives us work to do. He then gives us, in, in asking us or giving us a work to do, he then gives us the ability to do it. And then he not only gives us the ability to do it, but he then gives us rewards for what he enabled us to accomplish in the first place. Listen to this again. Listen to this again. So God gives us work. He then gives us the ability to do it along with the work. And then he gives us rewards for doing that, which he enabled us to accomplish. I mean, can you get a better situation than that? Really? I mean, can you? Can you get a better relation, uh, a better situation than that? And you see, this is grace. This is grace. You've got to comprehend this grace thing. And you, you have to keep in mind that the final judge of our service is, is, is the Lord. And you see, what that will do is, because... In this world, a lot of times, I mean, often, this is probably a big downfall. This is a big downfall, not only in the world, but in ministry, in Christian ministry, is when we have a, we have a fear of people, and then we want a desire, I mean, we have a desire to please them. We want to please everybody, and sometimes it's to the expense of pleasing God. And you see, but that keep, when you keep in mind that the Lord is the final judge of our service, that will set you free from having to cater to people and to have that fear of people and you, the knowledge of knowing that you don't have to please people. All you have to please is God. And that is a, uh, that will set you free. That will set you free. And again, you should know by now that you can't please everybody. We cannot please everybody, so why do we even try? We shouldn't even try to please everybody, but yet we do it. We know it's impossible, but yet we do it. We lose the, we lose that sense that we're, we have to please God. And that is so important. We, we start to get entangled in the world, and we, we then go, we, we leave pleasing God and go over to the camp that we must please people. First uh, Thessalonians four. Let's go there for a second. First Thessalonians four verse one. It says, "Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more." Our aim should and must be to walk and to please God. Our aim should be to walk and to please God. Our aim should be to walk and to please God. We can't let that statement from 1 Thessalonians 4.1, we should not ever let that escape our minds. Write it in your Bible, write it on the, write it on the tablets of your heart, write it in your mind, say it out loud, do whatever you have to do, but don't ever lose sight of that fact. Our aim should be to walk and to please God.
And, and, and again, you know, when, when you look at God and you look at maybe worldly employers or world, worldly leadership, when you look at God and then you look at the people we're trying to please and you look at God, he's easier to please than, than most people. Would you agree to that? I th- you have to agree to that. I, I can't see you not agreeing with that. And my experience is based on that. My experience tells me that God is easier to please than, than most people are. People are tough. People are tough. God is faithful. And God is easier to please. All we have to do is love him and make sure that our service gives him glory. And we have the joy. We have joy and, and godly fear in our service. And why is it that God is easier to please more than people? Because he knows us intimately. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Forget what other people think of us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He loves us perfectly. He loves us more than we love ourselves, and certainly more than anybody else could ever love us. And as a result of that, his intimacy with us and his perfect love for us, based on that, he then is in a position to accurately evaluate our work like no one else can. And we can't even evaluate our work ourselves. Thankfully, thankfully, it is this way. Because we can be very hard on ourselves sometimes. And God just wants our love and our, our giving him his best, and our best, I'm sorry, giving him our best and making sure he gets glory. And then because of that, he can then evaluate our work accurately. And again, he gives us rewards for something that he's given us the tools to do and, and succeed in. I mean, again, I can't say it enough. We, I mean, if we had that kind of situation on our jobs, I mean, wouldn't this be a wonderful world? Now, think about this for a minute. If you've been, again, in service, whether it be for years, months, weeks, or days, you will find, and I'm sure you have, if you've been around a while in in ministry, that you will be criticized by not only your enemies, but you will be criticized by your friends and family, believe it or not, your family. I mean... I shouldn't even tell you, believe it or not, because I'm sure you've been through it. You know, you want to do something, and you, where do you, it starts with your family a lot of times. Your family will, will try to get you out. What, are you crazy? Why are you going to do that? You know, so you, you have to let, let, let the, the, you have to let God work in you. You have to let God work in you. So, so staying, saying this again, anybody who tries to serve the Lord will ultimately be criticized by friends, family, and enemies. And then the, 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 the sad reality is, and I think that you would agree with this, is that you probably have done your own share of criticizing, other, criticizing others. I know I've done it. And, and you may have heard, I'm sh- uh, you may have heard this quote, this Christian quote, this, you uh, you know, I don't know about you, but you'll hear it. I don't want to say often, but I'm sure you've heard this. 
Uh, I'm pretty relatively sure that you've heard this, where a Christian, when criticizing others or when found criticizing others and when asked about that, they come up with this. I'm not judging. I'm a fruit inspector in the Lord's vineyard. Man, have you heard that one? Have you heard that one? In 1 Corinthians 4, let's see what Paul has to say. 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Uh, Christians 4, 5. This chapter, too, this whole chapter deals with division in 1 Corinthians. Oh, and by the way, um, Corinthians is a reproof epistle. Last, last, uh, I think it was our last message. Um, we talked about I think it was Philippians being a reproof epistle, but Corinthians is also a reproof epistle. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says this, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but, but he that judges me is the Lord. One more time. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. And I've heard, I've heard that uh, the actual translation for by myself should be of which I am guilty, for I know nothing of which I am guilty. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. So you can study that out also to see uh, if that, I, I have studied this uh, years ago, and uh, I put a note in my Bible that by myself means or should be translated of which I am guilty, which usually means that it was in the original or, you know, you try to get back in the word, you try to get back as far as you can in the translations uh, as, uh, to the original, as close to the original back when as you can. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but what, fruit, what, what Paul's warning is here is that uh, we don't want to judge anything before it's time, just as it says here, that each, judge nothing in five, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then every man have praise of God. Um, it's, it's, again, God's grace that he will find something to praise in each Christian's service. It's only by God's grace. It's also very nice to know and very encouraging to know that God looks on our hearts, our motives, while others only see our actions. And it's not to be implied or suggested here that good intentions or um, our heart may be good and that then somehow would um, make up for a bad performance 
or doing things poorly. Um, we're not trying to say that. That's not the suggestion. That is not the intention or implication uh, of what we're saying here. Um, that, that God sees our hearts or our motives. It does say, however, that when we've done our best and feel sad because we couldn't do better, uh, that's the encouragement. So it's not that while God looks on our hearts, he then somehow will, will take pe- bad performance uh, that, that the heart makes up for bad performance because we have good intentions. That's not, this, that's not what we're talking about here. It's that it's when we've given God our best, but then we feel bad because we couldn't do better. We couldn't do better. And then as a result of that, and in, and in when we look at that as what we're studying here, um, when we think we could have done better, we then can, can take the, um, the attitude and we can then start to think that our service will uh, not endure the fire. But thankfully, because God looks on the heart, see, he knows better and he knows that it will endure the fire. You see, that's, that's what we're trying to get across here. You're not, you're not, your heart doesn't make up for poor, poor performance. God's looking on your heart does not compensate you um, for, for poor performance. God wants your best. You have to have a heart the right motives in your heart, and then you have to give God your best. And when you give God your best, he gets the glory. And as a result of that, no matter how bad you feel, you have to look at the fact that God knows you gave your best even when you couldn't do better. You've given your best. That's what that means. You've given your best means that you had nothing else to give. You couldn't do it better, but you you did the best you could. And that's, you see, is what should give you the encouragement. And that, knowing that God looks on your heart in that situation, and then you can say, okay, my work will endure the fire. I hope I got that across uh, uh, sufficiently, because it's so important. This, This study, this this morning, this message is so important. Walking the tightrope of... Ministry. Oh, balance. That's what we're here. Balance. Balance is required. Balance is necessary. Balance is so important here. And you know, the other thing about the Bema, when you keep the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, in your mind, when you stay reflective of that, and you keep that in your mind, as a ready reference, uh, as you do your service to the Lord, that knowledge, that memory, that uh, those thoughts will discourage you and help you stay away from criticizing your fellow workers, your co-workers. Uh, Romans 14, let's go there for a second. Romans, a doctrinal epistle. Romans is a doctrinal epistle. Let's go to Romans 14. 
Verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So these are valid questions. These are valid questions. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? Why would you do that when you know we all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Knowing that we each have to give account of ourselves to God. You see, that's what we need to, to, to think about. That each one of us shall give an account of ourselves to God. That's what we need to keep in our minds. Now, like everything else we do, we often go to extremes in things. I, do you agree with that? You agree with that? We often, you, being human, we, we do things in, in extremes uh, a lot. Not even sometimes, a lot. Too often. And now we can go to the, see, the other extreme, okay? So now we know we're not supposed to judge our brothers. And we know that we're going to give an account for ourselves, right? And knowing that you don't have to now give an account for your brothers and sisters, you're going to give an account for yourselves, we can then go to the other extreme and now ignore them completely. We ignore our brothers and sisters. You know, uh, if they need help, we ignore them. If we see that they have danger, some kind of danger, uh, we ignore them. If they sin against us, we ignore them. If they repent and ask for forgiveness, we ignore them. While what we should be doing is if they need our help, we should help them. If they, if we see that there's, that they are in the face of danger, we have to warn them. If they sin against us, we have to tell them about it. And if they repent and ask for forgiveness from us, we must forgive them. The bottom line is that, um, even though we're not going to give an account for our brothers and sisters, we're only going to give an account for ourselves. We should be and must do everything in our power for our brothers and sisters that will enable them or assist them and help them to be able to give a good accounting when they stand before the Lord. <clears throat> wow. That should be very eye-opening. That should be very eye-opening. And this requires uh, a lack of of selfishness. If you are selfish, you'd never be able to do this. You would never be able to do this. Um, this goes hand in hand with trying to help people meet their goals. And when we're talking uh, again that um, uh, we don't want to ignore them, that's, that's the extreme here. And if we're not careful, uh, as, as I stated a few seconds, minutes ago, that we would now go to the other extreme and not Ignore and that we would ignore our brothers and sisters in Christ instead of trying to help them. The bottom line is that we need to help them 
to be in a position to stand before God and give the best accounting of their works when they stand before the Lord. What a wonderful thing to think about. What a wonderful thing to think. To, think, to know that you have the, the power to be able to encourage someone and help them to get rewards at the Bama seat and to make sure, not make sure, but help them to ensure that their service will make it through the fire. Man, that is so big. That is so loving. And, and again, we as humans will sometimes go to an extreme, which doesn't take this into account at all. The bottom line is, we want to help them, give the best accounting, but we, we don't want to pass judgment on their motives for their work. That's a big one. God looks on the hearts. We can never look on the hearts. And we can't judge people by their motives or their work. Sometimes we try to do that. Sometimes we try to do that. We go by perceptions. <coughs> Excuse me. God's the only one who can judge someone's motives and their heart. Think about this one for a minute. Uh, there are many well-known Christian workers out there. And there's been many in church history, uh, ancient times, contemporary times, your lifetimes, before your lifetimes, and there'll be many after your, our lifetimes. Uh, there's, there's probably no well-known Christian workers who haven't been at some time in their ministries been criticized or falsely accused. I mean, we see it all the time. You see it all the time. And if you're on YouTube or Facebook or wherever that, you know, I don't do Facebook, but YouTube, uh, many ministry, ministries have, 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 their, have pages on, on Facebook. They also have YouTube channels. And what you'll see a lot of times is the trolls, the trolls that will leave these negative, stupid comments um, uh, about these ministries, ministers or their ministries. And papers, uh, years ago especially, newspapers were big, uh, TV. You know, you know the game. You know the game. And these are well-known Christian workers. So they have always been criticized or falsely accused. So why should you be any different? Why should you and your ministry be any different? The thing about it is, we're God's people, and, uh, you know, but we're human. And when we work together, uh, there are many times that there will be, we can't agree. We can't agree, and we may misunderstand each other. And this happens even among the best of friends. We have to be careful, though, because perceptions will come into play here. Perceptions in our minds, so important, so important, how Satan will use perceptions and plant seeds in our minds. 
because situations are not always what they seem to be. And Satan will use perceptions to get us to think, doubt, and jump to conclusions uh, based on situations that are not what they seem to be. And as a result, when we jump to conclusions, what do we do then? We make rash judgments. The real encouragement here, at least for me, and it should be for you as well, that all these differences, all these misunderstandings, all these disagreements between brothers and sisters in Christ as they serve in ministry, all of these will be straightened out by our loving Lord at the judgment seat. At the judgment seat. And then we'll all be able to praise the Lord together because we see things from His perspective. That is the key. Boy, if we could do that now, if we can, that's what part of this, this Christian service exploration to heart of Christian service. That's why it's titled that, the heart of Christian service. You got to have a heart. And if you do ministry or service without the heart, without trying to give God glory, you will fail. And you'll put yourself through the mill. You'll put yourself through daily drudgery and you will be in bondage. So I'm hoping that, or I'm trusting that, um, that this message this morning will hit you where you need to be hit, in your heart. And that when you look at these scriptures, oh, read these scriptures again, study them out, study the, the judgment seat of Christ. It is so important. And a lot of people don't even know about the judgment seat. In fact, they can mix that up with the white throne judgment. Uh, and, and that's really bad. When, when Christians think the Bema is the white throne judgment, that can ruin your life. That can ruin your ministry. And, uh, it's, it's so important that you keep your heads in the Word and that you read the, the Pauline epistles and that you, you use the admonishment and the encouragement of Paul in your ministries and that you always look to the other person's highest good. That is the best definition I've, I've ever heard of for love. And, and again, Warren Wiersbe's... Uh, uh, definition for ministry that we put forth back in session one, the first lesson here. Um, and again, this series is based on uh, uh, Warren Wiersbe, a lot of his uh, ministry stuff. I mean, he was a great man of God. And um, this series is based on what I've learned from him and um, what we should all learn from him. And uh, he said that ministry happens when heavenly resources be, meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. And people, that's what it's all about, giving God the glory. No matter what service you do, no matter what ministry you're in, no matter what you're doing daily, whether it be in ministry, whether it be in service, everything we do should, should be done with the expectation of giving God the glory. 
And when God gets the glory, it puts a smile on his face. And again, uh, we have to really understand, we have to appreciate, we have to hold a, uh, uh, an awesome sense of gratitude for God that he is allowing us to live in this grace administration. And I thank God for the preachers and teachers of the word who really are, are, are putting forth this message of grace putting forth this message of grace so Christians can understand it, so that Christians can live their lives with the knowledge of what it means to be under the grace of God and what the appreciation and attitude that we should have. And again, like I said before, all you need to do is go into the Old Testament. The Old Testament is there for our learning. It's not to be thrown away. It's there for our learning. Everything written in the Word of God is the Word of God. And so many stories in the Old Testament um, and things that they had to do. And if you go into the book of Le Leviticus and the laws, I think something they had, the Jews had something like 630 laws that they had to follow. It wasn't only the Ten Commandments. They had all kinds of laws. And, and 630, I believe, I've heard it spoken of. I've never counted them myself. But you go into that book of Leviticus and if you come out of that, not appreciation, not appreciating grace, then you need to have your head examined and have your head examined by the word of God. Okay? But thank you, Father, for allowing us to live in this wonderful administration of grace. Thank you, Father, for putting forth or uh, encouraging and, and allowing pastors and teachers, for calling them to put forth your message of grace to your people. We thank you, Father, that we can have a healthy, loving, and awesome uh, appreciation of the grace that you have given us. And Father, we thank you for our Son, your Son, our Lord and risen Savior, Christ Jesus. We thank you for everything in his name. We thank you that you've given us a salvation package and we thank you that we can, when we stand before you, you see him. We have the righteousness of Christ. We are righteous because of what he did for us. When you look at us, you see Jesus Christ, your son. And again, wow, God, we thank you that you have allowed us to live in this day and time. And you've allowed us to live in this day and time because you love us. And because you have a purpose for our life and you have a plan for our lives that you expect and uh, you expect us to, to execute the plan and you've given us the tools, you've given us the grace, you've given us the anointing to accomplish the task. And then because of your grace and your love for us, you've will give us rewards for doing that which you've set us up to succeed in. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And again, we thank you in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord and risen Savior.
Till next time, God bless.